Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness. And every week, I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. I'd also like to quickly add that I'm literally standing in a coat closet as we speak. On today's episode, I'm joined by the comedian, writer, producer, and late-night host, Samantha B, where I ask her, can comedy save us all? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and I am so excited for today's guest. I'm actually really so excited today for several reasons. This is our last episode prior to the election, and I just feel like... I've been trying to hit these these hard-hitting issues for quite some time, and I just felt like the one before, the week before the election, let's let's talk about comedy, and who better to talk about with comedy than Samantha B. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Yeah. I'm fine. I feel like that's a great new response, because I'm still in that autopilot of people asking me how I am, and I'm like, great. Right. And then I'm like, oh. Wait, I'm not really great. Oh, we can't say it's like fine. It's okay. Like healthy. There's a caveat to every answer to that question. Yeah. So that's that. And great. So here's today's question. I don't know if you've ever heard the the podcast before, but we always do. So everything is a question. And our question for you is, is can comedy save us all? No. And anyway, podcast is over. That's it. Thanks for coming. This is really. You know, I do. I think that, you know, you're right not to get to the last second right at the top, but let's go there. You can't okay. predict everything. You can't. It's, it can't save us all, but it sure can help us process stuff. That I can totally agree with you on that. It can help us process stuff. And truly, like, is life worth living all that much if you can't laugh at absurdity or something at some point? Like... It gets you through things. It creates, there's like a shared experience of it. It's like a, a kind of a communal experience. And I think that that has a lot of value. So it's not like it's going to save us, but it has a tremendous value. It really does. It has many values. And I just also feel like if for some reason, if you've been living mm-hmm. under a rock and you don't understand who the fuck Samantha B is, I feel like you should get out yeah. of here. But in doing yes. a little bit of research, okay. I did I did find a few things that I didn't know one of which I think is like the most interesting is that mm-hmm. you were the longest serving even longer than Colbert yeah. correspondent yes. on the daily show which I guess mm-hmm. I was just so busy trying to like not die of meth overdoses or like you know <laughs> I didn't I didn't like, know I just can't I, believe you weren't paying attention to the trajectory of my career I was watching I was watching <laughs> I was checking in and checking out I was but I wasn't I didn't okay. know and so that's just kind of really major you also became the first woman to host a late night show in 2016 with the launch mm-hmm. of Full Frontal yeah. I think it's also really amazing to see um having been in the in the industry now for a little bit I to get your own show is it's- so hard. hard. So hard. To get your own show and have it not be one season long is even harder. Really so hard. So you are a successful uh, host of a late night television show. You also mm-hmm. are a woman. You also uh, are a Canadian slash U.S. citizen, which yeah. that happened in 2014, which is yeah. probably, you know, one of the best things of, of 2014, because mm-hmm. honestly, like that was the year of Sochi and they gave Slotnikova the gold when obviously you not Kim fucking deserved it. Don't even oh. get me started on the midterms that year. I don't think oh, we God. had a great midterms that year. I got to stop talking, honestly, Samantha, and get no. to the fucking point because I just, I just, I can't stop talking. I, I just want a brainstorming call. 
I can't. And you're like on brainstorming calls. You just can't shut the fuck up. Or you're very, or you're very quiet or you're very, you're like, I'm the other one. I'm the other one. No, that's not me. I'm always like, can't can't stop talking. And then it's like, everyone's like, oh great. We've been here for an hour and a half and we haven't done anything. Do you give yourself the freedom to just like throw all the, just like bad ideas and good ideas and all ideas and like, I don't want to post it. Put it on the wall. Like, are you draw like, the just, lines, connect just, the dots? Yeah, like a serial killer. Like I do, and then the- I get so frustrated afterwards that it's not done. <laughs> like, I just, I just want to understand. But you know, that's the process. I am really enjoying the process. I love the, okay. I love the process. Yeah, um, and really, I want to talk about processes okay. with you. I like um, the process. Me too. I'm well. Some I like some. Sort of. They don't yes. always work. So when you were minding your own business in Kanata, yes, you were like a young Samantha B. Yes. When did you like, did you know that there was going to be a point where you're like, I have to like distill information to folks and I really want to like entertain (laughs) yet make people laugh? Like, was it a light bulb? Was it? Oh, no. Oh, no. God, no, no. I grew up. I just had no idea that I would end up being a performer in front of people. Like it was not in my, I didn't come to that until much later in life, like late twenties. So where were you in Canada? In growing Toronto. Up? In you Toronto. were? Yeah, I was. Why? Why? Is that just, exciting? Yes. <laughs> you were in a metropolis. Metropolis. You were in a, in a big Canadian metropolis. Yeah. So I just am trying to get a vision of like, okay. You know, just you like minding your own business I'm in Toronto, to, like what that was like. I'm trying to imagine what that actually was like. Like, inter, I really just, I thought that I would be, I was like the first person in my family to go to college. So it was more like, you have to go, please go to college. And I was like, I will go to college because I'm, I'm smart. Um, I was very irresponsible teenager, but I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go to college, but I also should make a living. So I'm going to make a living. How do you make a living if you're a college educated person? Like I just was so far away from anything. It just, you know what I mean? So you didn't have that intention of like, I'm going to no. go learn how to write comedy and become a comedian in Los Angeles or New York. I thought that I would be a lawyer. I thought that I would go to law school. I thought I would go to school, get a general kind of like a degree in English literature. And then I would apply it, take the LSAT and go to law school and become like a successful business person, like successful <laughs> attorney with no passion for the law, like no real interest in it, but just more of an interest in creating like a safe framework for living. Like, uh, you know, because that was logic. That was like a, the path that a lot of uh, Canadian teenagers or my, <laughs> you know, my peers, that's kind of what we all thought. And then I took a theater class and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. Actually, I, I'm very, I'm good at this. I'm going to do this because I love it. Like that, that actually was a light bulb moment where I was like, I oh. stepped onto a stage and I went, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not nervous at all. In fact, I feel more myself than I have at any other point. Like I just, I don't know. I don't know if you have experienced this, but the way that I think about it is like, like I auditioned for a play and I was like, I'm going to audition like with no expectation or knowledge or awareness of anything. And I got a really good part in the play. And then I only learned my part and I didn't even read the rest of the play. And like until the end, I didn't even know that you were supposed to know what happened in the play. Like I, was oh, no. like, I only learned my own part. I was performing the show, having not really 
seen or have any knowledge of what happened at the end. Did that work out? It worked out fine. Yeah, it was like we did because the first day, the first time that we did like a full dress rehearsal of the show was just like a full run and everybody's in their costumes and everybody's like, this is serious now. We're fucking doing it. I was like, oh, my God, I can't sit in the audience. And everyone was like, what are you talking about? It's a dress rehearsal. I was like, yeah, but I want to see how it ends. They were like, what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? You haven't read the play? I'm like, why would I? <laughs> well, at least I was thinking like, at least you didn't get to like, like the first night and like, there's like about to be a funeral and you're like celebrating. You're like, I cannot wait. This is about to be so happy. And then um, it's like, no. <laughs> I, but I felt when I walked onto the stage and I had like a whole part where I was saying, like I did all this stuff. that was just like totally foreign to me. And I was so comfortable. I enjoyed it so much. I just really, I loved it. And so I was like, I'll do really serious theater for the rest of my life. And like many years went by and I studied acting and stuff like that. And then no one ever hired me for anything except for comedy stuff. And I was like, oh, I should, I should switch. Like, just like read the signs. <laughs> yeah, was like, that the universe sent me a sign. Was okay. that hard? Like, so were, were you in New York at that? Where did, where no, were you when Toronto. you were auditioning? So you're Toronto. still in Toronto <laughs> and you're auditioning for all the like, uh, like, mm-hmm. like very serious theater stuff. And serious. they were rejecting baby Samantha B or like 20s Samantha B. Yeah, they were like, sorry. Like there were a lot of feedback. If I could even get in the door, you know, if I could even get an audition, which was pretty rare, I would go in and they'd be like, that's, but this is a really serious show and you're not taking it seriously. And I was like, I think I might be a bad actor. <laughs> Everyone thinks oh. I'm trying to make them laugh and I'm not. This is like, I'm trying hard. I'm just to like, be my heart out. I'm really like giving it. And uh, and then I had friends who I actually did like a touring. You end up doing all these touring shows. So I did this like touring show about um, like, I think it was literally like so on the nose. It was called like coming out of the closet. And it was like a show we would do in high schools to teach kids to, you know, like accept themselves and like just be open about their sexuality. And um and my friends who were in that show also had a, a, a sketch comedy troupe. And like, the woman in their show flamed out or was sick or something. They were like, can you just replace her? You'll be fine. Trust me. You, you know how to do this. And I was like, I'll try it. And then I did comedy and I was like, oh, no, I should really do this. This is actually what I should do. That is so interesting. Yeah. The universe told me I didn't really tell the universe. Like I didn't, I didn't like manipulate the will of the world. But at least you listened. I did listen to it. I did. Well, it was impossible not to. The the signs were all around. Really. So for me, like I was like, you know, very much obsessed with um, like, it would be like figure skating, gymnastics, like Thai. And then Mm -hmm. like comedy was like, you know, more like second, maybe okay. third, depending on the year. So like I had like my icons, but I feel like I understood more about comedy as an adult. And like really Margaret Cho was my first love. And that's because I oh. shoplifted Notorious CHO from Blockbuster. And oh thank God they're God. out of business now. So I think I can say it, but you I did shoplift Notorious CHO in oh. like 2002 because my mom wouldn't rent it for me because it was R. And so I just put it in my man bag at the time. It was my little, that's what I called it. I had a man purse when I was like in eighth grade. And so I just put it right in there. And then I was obsessed. And so then from there, it was like Janine Garofalo and then Lisa Lampanelli. Sure. I had a very like, 
I really loved a lot of cussy, edgy ladies in yes. the eighth and ninth grade. And then after that, yep. um, it never went away. But so for you, like growing up, were you into comedy? Like a little I bit, was. you just didn't know that it was for you. So who are your people? Who are you like soups inspired by? Who's your Margaret Cho? Like who well, are you obsessed with? I would say Catherine O'Hara is a really big one for me because SCTV is Canadian and I watched it like... Wait, Moira uh, from Shit's Creek, like our Catherine O'Hara, who is like also the two-handed no. hugger in, in She's my in, Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> she's the mine. universe says she is more yours because you're Canadian. Okay, fine. You can have yeah, I get it. Because you guys are both Canadian. But it was okay, like, that's fine. Because you growing up, I mean, I just watched so much television. I constantly watched television. Okay, television was I, I I just watched television constantly. So when I would eat dinner. I watched a certain type of programming and then post dinner was like a different type of programming. But during dinner every night, like six o'clock, it was like SCTV and Carol Burnett, or maybe it was Carol Burnett and then SCTV. So it was back to back comedy and then a little bit of I Love Lucy in there for good measure. So I probably didn't even, I, I would say, most and then Golden Girls because I lived with ah! I lived with my grandmother for a long time, so Golden Girls and mod and like all those shows were just like my oxygen now mod yes. i have a question about this because yeah. you know you this is getting curious i'm gonna let myself sure. be, curious. be curious you know obviously i i do i did partially drop out of college because of the golden girls because it used to be in the early 2000s you could watch like six hours a day yeah on lifetime so then obviously i felt like as a devout like golden girls slash golden palace fan i felt like i mm-hmm. should just like when people would bring up mod i'd be like yeah of course i watch all i know very well and yeah. wrote it too but really like i i liked mary tyler Moore. i loved i love lucy yeah. i love golden girls but i don't really know mod and it turns out blanche and dorothy knew each other right on mod i think so weren't they friends on mod like did you watch mod what's can you just give us like a quick like 20 second recap basically no, dorothy I is don't remember you don't I remember don't, i can't remember yeah, no one knows what and was no the one knows. mod i'm it's dying like, to know about this mod i need to binge it can we get on hulu that's a good I need idea to watch blanche was, and dorothy from the 70s Mod's 60s mod was an edgy show mod was like an edgy show i would say i bet you it holds up today but i don't i can't say that factually i just loved i remember when, when b arthur died i cried Oh, hard. So Never hard. been the same. I'm just not that person who I know a lot of people. I know, especially in comedy, people are can go back in their minds and remember specific everything. Like they just remember lines from things and they remember plot points. And I don't remember anything from any show. Do you remember what Maude did? Like, was she a newspaper lady? She no, was just a feminist. Oh, I, I love that. She was a feminist and she had an abortion at some point. Do you so remember like, in Golden Girls when she got fibromyalgia before we knew what fibromyalgia was when all the doctors like didn't believe her? I don't. And I watched every uh, single episode. I have Golden Girls coasters. Yeah. She got fibromyalgia, but they didn't have the name for it yet in the early 90s. She had this like chronic pain and she was oh. going to these doctors and then this fucking doctor dismissed her and tried to make her feel like her pain wasn't real. And then she was like, you fucking gaslit me. And <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. So I love your comedic <sighs> inspirations. They're all good. Yeah, they're all solid. It's more like, it's not even like I don't try to model myself after those people or anything. It's just that I do get asked the question a lot. Like, what would ever make you think you could do comedy? Like, why do you? And I was like, I don't know, because like all I watched was was women doing comedy. Like, that's what I watched. So why wouldn't I think I could? Why wouldn't I think that when the opportunity came to pass, it was just sort of in my DNA that 
I always, that I could name 10 great women who were comedians who I watched routinely. And it wasn't even like I was on purpose, someone going, now watch the women of comedy. It was just what was on television. And I totally consumed it. Loved it. Well, I'm obsessed with that. And I also feel like, yeah, I mean, for me, I would never like dare to presume to ask like the fucking great Samantha be like what made her think she could do comedy because obviously you're you. And what is wrong with people asking that? Like we're, we're, who asks you that? Get out of no, here, not, journalist. Not so much. I mean, like that's I mean, that actually that question is kind of gone to, has gone to rest now. But right. But in the day. The time. Yeah. But in the day, like in Christopher Hitchens, like all around that kind of era that was like, well, I'm funny. Well, we can't make jokes. And so we were just constantly in comedy deflecting the question of like, can women even be funny? But we've kind of, I think we've put that to bed now that Donald Trump oh, yeah, was president for four years. No one has time yeah, for I mean, that question anymore. Yeah, been there, <laughs> done. I mean, Please. Yes, of course. But I mean, Please. I think, I mean, I was very convinced of women's hilarity way back in Bush one's administration, like as mm-hmm. a four and five year old, like I'm pretty sure I've been on like the women are hilarious train for as long as I've been verbal. Like, I, like yeah. I just always thought that. Um, and I just was more curious about like, you know, who your inspirations were. And I feel like I understand that. And we are going to take a really quick break. We're going to do some gorgeous messages. Maybe it'll be me reading in a British accent. Maybe it'll be me falling out of a fucking closet. Cause that's where I record these ads. And it's not really also behind the scenes. I'm not really recording them right now. Listeners. Really, these ads were from some other time of me in a closet. We'll be right back with more Samantha B after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Ben So we were just catching up with Samantha B about her comedic inspirations, um, which are all really, really good ones. And so you can't help it. It's the mm-hmm. truth. Yep. So then your so your friend invites you to get into into sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, oh my god, I've been bitten by the bug. Like yes. I already knew I wanted to be a performer from this, but the theatrics isn't really my mm-hmm. my path. It's going to be comedy. So then, like, what was auditioning for the Daily Show like? Was it a thing? Were you like nervy? Would was like? Do you feel like that was like your big? That was like, it. Yeah, for sure. That was the. I mean. I did sketch comedy for years. I was in an all-female sketch troupe called the Atomic Fireballs, and we worked and worked and worked, and we, like, put up our own shows, and it was, like, super DIY. Like, we just did shows all the time. We performed a lot. But then The Daily Show came to town, and they were doing auditions there. And it was my favorite show. Like, I watched it really religiously. Like, when I got married to my husband in 2001, we we actually bought a, a small house, and we had, like, a special... We didn't really watch all that much TV, but we had like a TV set aside. And every night at 11 o'clock, we would go together and hold hands and watch the Daily Show. And so I knew it really, really well. So when I auditioned for it, it was with all these other women because they were looking for a woman. And um, I just knew it really well. It was just in the the tone of it. The the voice of the show was just something that I understood just really deeply from being a viewer for so long. And the point of view was very like, accurate to how I felt about things. So it was a super good fit. And, um, and they ended up hiring me after a long process, but it was incredible. Like, that's when I moved to New York. That's when I moved to the States. And then where it was a process, just like, just all the auditions, oh. all the heartburn, all the nerve, a lot of like, ner- like a lot of, yeah, for sure. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a constant, it was only two, it was two auditions. The first one in Toronto and the second one with John in the studio in New York. And so that was, it was like very terrifying. Did you have to meet the other finalists? No, I didn't know that. 
I didn't know what was going on. I kept it so in my brain. I kept it so small. I just didn't think about anybody else. I didn't think I would get the job. For one thing, I didn't invest other than I was like, I will do the best job I've ever done in my life for this. Like I will put it, I'm going to train for this. Like it's the Olympics. Like I literally put myself on a regimen of eating brain foods. I was like, I'm going to eat salmon. Like tonight, I'm having, like I was, it was like my religion for the week leading up to the first audition. And then for the callback as well. Cause I was like, I need to be like faculties intact, go for a run, get it all out. Like do everything, be a yogi for just like push out the outside world. And I <laughs> did do that. I absolutely did do that. And I made a really smart decision actually, because they were very cheap and they weren't like, let's fly you into town to do an audition and then we'll put you up in a hotel. They were like, fly in, do it and fly out. But I was like, no, I will put myself up and I'm going to go see a taping of the show the night before so that I have an advantage and I know what the studio looks like. So I can picture what it's going to be like for me the next day. So I did all this extra stuff and I ended up getting the job just because I was sort of less, probably less nervous than everybody else. Cause I worked it all out. Crazy. Okay. I was sweating my balls off. It was terrifying. <laughs> I just to, so you know, viewers, I, my mouth has been aghast at that story. When you said that's smart. That is like taking your charge of your own destiny and like not being like victim to like the circumstance. Like, no, no, no. I'm going to do what's going to work for me better and like setting yourself up for more success, which is like really good advocating for yourself. Ooh. And like that literal decision, like maybe change the trajectory of that's so that's it. such smart research to go in there and like to calm your nervous system and also to like even further understand the tone of the show. And, like maybe see like some of the other players who you would like. Yes potentially need to like see how they work like the producers and like the showrunner or something (gasps) yeah it was like i just wanted to even just to know what temperature the room would be like i just wanted to see it to kind of because you know like when you go see a live taping of something where you go into someone's studio space it's always either so much smaller than you think it's going to be or it's so much larger than you think or the layout is weird i just like to know i just like to know what the physical space is I don't really care about too many other things. It's for me, very spatial. Like, where's my back? Where's my front? How big is this place? What do I have to fill? You know what I mean? So actually just being there dispelled a lot of the surprise. It it just took that element of surprise out of the equation because I understood where I was going to sit. I understood just the physical, the physical aspect of it. it. It really demystified it, which was good. Smart. So, yes. Also, I just realized, like, literally this far into our, like, this far in, I, the whole trajectory of, like, what I was going to ask, like, I completely uh-huh. forgot it. I freaked out. I got, like, too bamboozled with how much I like you and then, like, forgot <laughs> about, like, where we were. So, that's, that's okay. But we're, we're still okay. nailing it. We so, can, we're nailing it. This is going. No, we still are I'm nailing it. I just think it's, myself. like, lol that I accidentally took, like, such a, uh, like, now that I just looked down to my notes for the first time this whole time that I was warning you about before, if I'm looking down a lot, um, I, I haven't been on them really at all. And I've looked so much so yes so when you think about like that you got you land this job which is like two callbacks you do it you get it Mm -hmm. and then it's like kind of all of this time of like doing your sketch comedy and performing live and all of your experiences like lead you up to like this chance and I, I think I can probably I um like identify with some of those moments of like you know not knowing like if you're if it's gonna work so it's like 
looking back on your time there and yeah. at how nervous you were to get the job. And then I'm yeah. sure like through that first year of like trying to figure out like, is it going to be permanent? Like, is this yes. going to, is this, is this new life going to be my reality? Yes. So how did, did the way that you approached your jokes and your stories in the daily show change in the time that you were there? And, uh, did the things that made you laugh and the things that you and the information that you wanted to disseminate in a funny and informative way, did those types of things that you wanted to share change in your 12 years there? Because sure. you, you, you got the job in 2001, two, one, 2000, two. No, it was when I finally got the job, it was 2003. Three. 2003. So from yep. three to 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah, three to 15. Yeah. So... That's like a really pivotal time. I definitely, the things that we, but the show, you know, like I evolved, but also the show. I think the first two years that I spent there were, I was just like lost in trying to figure out who I was on the show and trying to figure out going from zero. It was like going from really zero to a hundred, like no one knew who I was. And suddenly, you know, there was message boards about either I really like her or I think she's a piece of shit. Like, Getting that comfortable with just having a job that's very high profile takes um it takes a while. Like it it takes it took me a while. I can't speak for others, but for me it was it was a, a really steep learning curve. So just getting comfortable in New York, like suddenly living in New York, suddenly having a high profile job was its own like its own very specific bunch of stuff that to, to deal with. And then the show, but the show itself also evolved. Like, you know, John as the editorial voice of the show, his point of view grew and his point of view expanded. And along with his point of view expanding, all of us came along because we were all there to really execute his ideas or ideas that he liked that we could fill out the show with, you know what I mean? So yeah. as, like when I really started, it was just jokes. Like the, our job was just dumb stuff. We would go out in the field, like here's a crazy character. Let's be stupid. Occasionally you got a chance to make a great point. Um, each, you know, each small piece had, had a point to make, but that really grew over the course of the show, over the course of like the, as the influence of the show grew during the Bush administration, when things felt really, when things were dire, when we were in a war that nobody wanted to be in, like that whole period of time is really when the point of view of the show just kind of blossomed. And I think that we blossomed with it. And so for sure, I think the stories that we ended up doing got more and more, um, more representative of our own personal points of view and more representative of like the direction that we would want to take things. And and then getting my own show on top of that was just a further, then it was just like full on. Okay. Well then here's my point of view. Now it's mine. <laughs> now it's my show. And now it's my opportunity to talk about the things that I want to talk about on this show in a new world, which I love. And like, and there was like, no, and also Twitter didn't exist when the show started, you know, when I started at the show, like, so much of this kind of the social media around that is built around shows. It really just didn't exist then either. That has grown. So the influence of shows is different and the way that you're putting information out into the world is totally different. And all of that has really exploded as well. It's very different now. Do you, what are the biggest benefits to the ways in which social media has changed how you, someone like you is able to mm -hmm. make a show and what are like the biggest detriments? 
it makes, well, for one thing, I think just more people have access to more information, which is not, which is a very good thing, which is a very, very good thing. I think it's like, it's a very democratic process. Now, I think if you want to be a performer too, if you have material that you want to show people, you can, there are so many opportunities for you to do that and build your own career and build your own persona in, in that realm. So that is all great. I, and the, I mean, the, the flip side, I guess, is that Twitter is a hell site where you want to tear your eyes out and you like, you have to be very, you have to be careful with yourself. You have to be protective of yourself within social That's what media. I was curious about too, like for that, like, I, I guess like for the performer, cause obviously like I, I don't think I was, and, and it, it's, well, like, and for you coming on in 2003, it's not like you were coming on to like a little show. Like you were coming on to one of the most popular night shows, nighttime mm-hmm. television shows around. Right. And it continued to be yes. really until like, as long as John was, and it still is. I mean, Trevor Noah's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, you came into like, you probably really did go from like zero to a hundred. That's such a good way to put it. And the pressure and the platform and even just like the change to your daily life. Cause you are like going to be, it's, I, I kind of compare it to like in junior high when, if you got made fun of a lot, which mm-hmm. yes. Um, it's like, you know, when you walk into a room, like when everyone's looking at you or talking about you and now it's like that, but sure. it's more positive than negative, which is nice, but you can still feel like just people looking and it just feel it's like, yeah. it's an unsettling feeling when you're not used to it and you have to get comfortable with it. Cause it's part of the job, you, which is, yes, you have to get comfortable with people talking about you and you knowing it. It's just weird. It is hard. It's actually really hard. I found it to be very difficult. Like I'm good with it now. I'm fine with it now because I don't read anything. Whereas like at the beginning I read everything. I really, I thought that I was supposed, supposed to, or I thought that I had to, like, in order to be a participant in show business. Like I thought that it was part of my job to like know what people were saying, but ultimately you you learn over time that you also have to protect your life and your heart. Like you're a human person, (laughs) you're a human being, you know? And so you do have to, there has to be a separation between the, the you, you and the person that you are projecting. A little bit out in the world and they can be very similar they can be very aligned but there is a separation and you have to be vigilant about keeping those things separate i think like for me i do uh, yeah note to self so <laughs> right. so and also like really a lot of what i what i meant to ask you about at the beginning that he's got so taken with you yeah. it, is like how do because I, I like i wanted to talk about political comedy mm-hmm. and how And when I say, like, can comedy save us all? Like, can it save us from this political hellscape? And obviously, I think we said very quickly, no, it can't. But the ways in which we process some of this stuff can actually help bring awareness, um, greater understanding, greater empathy, compassion, all sorts of things. But you can utilize comedy in all sorts of, like, you know... Like a little like mean and catty ways, but like in amazing, like to the people who deserve it so that we can raise sure. the awareness. It's like we can't, like comedy isn't going to save us, but we can save each other. Like if we have an opportunity to save each other coming up, building communities is what ultimately I think saves us all. Like building that kind of like building communities with people who are like-minded and like getting everybody activated. And comedy is a good tool for that. It's a very good delivery system for us, for, a, for information that's important. It's just, it's great on its own. It's, it's great. I love fucking love comedy. Oh my God. 
Um, but it's also an effective delivery system for other stuff. So, and I mean, I think John Stewart really did kind of change that yeah. and like created like a moment for comedians to be able to do that more than yes. maybe classically they would have, which is really like yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then when I think about like the last four years of this administration and also it's like, because you became a dual citizen in 2014. Mm-hmm. So does that mean like that's when I think this is right? Like that's when you've been able to vote since, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. So second presidential election, second presidential election for yes. um, Samantha B. I'm sure you're not going to go for Trump again this time. I'm just kidding. Full <laughs> joke. Full joke. Was that hilarious? Well, I haven't made up my mind yet. I'm still undecided. <laughs> Are you one of those undecided we'll voters? See. Okay. Well, you know, I was reading about those people yesterday. Great. So um, no, I was because it's like, who is that? Like this elusive, undecided. Like, is there really someone who's undecided still? So, but maybe there is. But when I think about the last four years, and, and obviously. I spent a lot of time thinking like about how badly in 2016 I wished to have a platform that was more influential mm-hmm. and now I have one and that's, you know, that's been these last three, four years have been such a transformative and like hugely different time for me personally yeah. and professionally. For you, you were already like slaying the game, honey, like a gajillion time, like, you know, most decorated, like you were already you in 2016. So, but what were the, some of the things like, like in the last four years, what were some of the things in, in political comedy, comedic sphere that were like the most iconic or important ones in the last four years? The one that came to my mind just in terms of like, well, like one of the first ones of that era yeah. of the you know twenty sixteen right after the, the election was Kate McKinnon doing Hallelujah on right. SNL, and that felt like a very mm-hmm. <clears throat> like pivotal moment in comedy and politics. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, strap your fucking selves in! Like we aren't going to be seeing Hillary anymore. Like it is yeah. fucking Alec Baldwin, and also Alec Baldwin right. as Trump has mm-hmm. been also pretty. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and like um, the correspondence dinner with Michelle Wolf. Yes. That's, that was a really big moment. And I think we still feel the reverberations from that, really, because there's so much sympathy. Like there's so much sympathy out in the world for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And it's very, she occupies this really unique territory in people's minds because it's very hard to. No, is there a sympathy for her? Did you guys learn more about that no, on your no, show no. than that? But I, I, I mean, what I mean is, she's continues to be taken very seriously. Like there are huge like sections of the country who are like, we're going to make her the governor, and she's going to be great. And I'm like, she's terrible. I don't understand. But it, you know, like that moment really crystallized. It like it just was very. It was very divisive. But now she'll probably be the. She'll probably be the governor. <laughs> Of Arkansas? Like, yeah. wasn't her dad the governor of probably. Arkansas? Yeah. yeah. So, what about because for my, your my show? My face is like so, it's just like so cringy. It's all cringed as I say that. Did you like me? Because I can't see you. Like, is your, is your video off on purpose? It's off? Oh, I thought it <laughs> No. I no, just thought maybe just she me. doesn't want me to see her. No, that's me doing my own technical stuff. Hold on. Oops. Whoops. Oh, shit. Sorry. Oh, my God. Hi. <laughs> I've never seen you until now. I was just oh going with that. I wanted to like respect your boundaries and stuff. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Oh no. I didn't know. Right hi. Oh my God. We have to keep this just like this. Cause so basically everyone, since we went remote, like I like always like record these like on zoom, oh but then we just gosh. use the audio, but I haven't been able to see it. Sam Cause I thought maybe she was like, no. I'm not trying to see you today or whatever, but no. you are just so fucking gorgeous. Get out of my face. Go back, <laughs> turn the video back on. I can't focus. You're fucking gorgeous. Totally... They're just kidding. Don't turn your video on. Oh my God. I thought I had it. 
put on the whole time. I love your snatch pony. Oh, it's super snatch because, you know, it's so high. Very high. It's a very high pony today. It's very high and tight and it hurts. But I'm leaving it because I like it. But that's why you look great. I, I mean, like I love it. when it's I like snatch my pony full, back. It's Many, giving yep. me a full lift. <laughs> yeah. So gonna, yeah, I love that. Okay. So, but okay. what about for your show? What has been like your, what was in the last four years? I know it's going to be really difficult. It is because I, and it doesn't have to be, and it doesn't have to be the same that I participated in. Okay. It doesn't have to be the same that I participated in. Okay. It doesn't. Well, first of all, having you appear on the show was incredible. I know. It was, it was like really, I, I couldn't believe it. It was like really, it was like a moment. I like Major moment. Well, I'm very proud of a lot of the show. And also I have, uh, as I mentioned before, a very bad memory and I can't ever remember specific things, but what, has been meaningful to me has been, I think like being able to do a show after Hillary lost, that was very meaningful to me. Then we did, we've done, we've done full episodes that really had um, incredible charitable components to them that I'm very proud of. We did a special on ice. We did an entire Christmas special on ice and, um, helped uh, a, a very worthy charity in a huge way that was I'm very proud of that I'm proud of all those efforts that we've made I'm proud of I'm proud of the specials we've done I, I just really love the show like I actually am so bad at thinking of specific things there's a list of 20 well, things that I could tell you but I only re- know what's happening next week and I've completely forgotten what happened last week well, that's probably a really good lesson in staying very present and like giving everything that you can to what's in front of you and not that is really important in comedy. But I also just say for me in such an earnest way as a consumer of your content um, and a consumer of comedy and television for like decades as well. And I think that something that has been so missing from so much TV is an ability to make like the idea of context and knowledge sexy and like fun and, and engaging and you do that Thank and you, you do that. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And I just, Thank you know, you. that very, I think that's just very important for you to hear if you like don't hear it enough. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back with more getting curious after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We estimated the B. Both of our videos are on and we are virtually connected honeys. So one thing that we've mentioned a few times, we haven't gotten to get into it as much yet, but I would really love to chat about it is, you know, you became a dual citizen in 2014. We are about to go into um, a little bit of an election. I'm curious about to not necessarily the election. This is what I'm kind of curious about for like observations on for how we can all be more like Samantha. Oh God. So, Uh Oh, well, you have a different perspective because you're Canadian American. There's, and I do think that Canadians, like, I can't put my finger on it. There is a je ne sais quoi that is a little bit, you know, different. I just feel like it's, I can't tell what it, you know, y'all are just Canadian and it's different than American. Right. Literally, like the universal health care. Well, you know, I will say this. I do, do like when I try to define what is the difference, because there aren't that many differences, but culturally, to me, the health that healthcare is the greatest is the biggest difference because it's not even like it's always amazing to Canadians, if I may, what Americans will tolerate from their government. <laughs> like we're like, wait, you don't get healthcare and you put up with that shit? Like we have that. And why wouldn't you want that? Like the um, 
it's amazing to Canadians that there would be a single human being in America who does not think that they want universal health care. It makes such a, an immense difference in your life. And it's like, I think of it as like a, just a, a huge, heavy, invisible backpack that Americans have to wear at all times. Like there's always this like looming threat of some terrible of a bankruptcy because you can't pay your medical bills. Like everyone's just carrying this extra weight. Like everyone has to work a little bit harder. You have to really worry about something that the average Canadian simply doesn't have to worry about. Like in, in can't, I'm not saying it, that well, the Canadian healthcare system is better. It's just better. You don't, you don't walk around the streets thinking, Oh, if I get cancer, I might lose my house. You can actually focus on your health. Like you can think about your health as opposed to like, oh boy, I hope one of us doesn't break a bone when we're on vacation because if we have to get like chopper to a hospital, that's like $30,000. You know what I mean? Like that's just- But people, I think so many people don't think about that in America, which is, and then like, you know, sometimes awful things happen and other times things don't. And it's like, and until it happens to you or like someone in your like direct circle, it's like a lot of folks just right. don't. It's incredible. It's kind of a, it's kind of like if you're okay, like it's like, there is like a sense of like, well, my boat's not sinking, right. so I'm not going to help you and yours. Right. And I do think that that is, and, that is a pretty, but yes. it's also not just healthcare. And yeah, but like, it's, but then when I look at, when I, cause I live here now, my children are American. I'm American. Like, you, you know, there's Americans are the most generous people. Like at the same time, like at the same time you go that, you know, half the country or whatever, a third of the country doesn't want universal healthcare or whatever the numbers are. And then, but then they're like having fundraisers and paying for people's surgery. Like, there's this weird, it's just this weird dichotomy of like. Because it's the government. It's because um, like those people don't, because well, like, they don't want the government telling them what to it's do. Like, There's such this idea that like the government I mean, shouldn't be telling. It's a, That's like such like an American thing, which is like a nightmare. It's, it's like, a nightmare. A, I don't know what the, it is. It is a nightmare. It's like a thing. But then there's also not just that though about like why, you know, Canada's so much cuter hour. It's also the gun laws better. Canada better, yes. much less guns, better, much, much less. less gun violence, like mm-hmm. much, you know, less readily available, gigantic, multifaceted gun shops. Sure. Yeah. Like yes. it's more like for hunting moose and bears and stuff, like just less gun violence mm-hmm. on the whole, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is like another thing. But it's like you've been a, you are a Canadian American, you're, you know, brought up in Canada, but you've lived here for a long time. Mm-hmm. So and then also you have been on television as like a widely recognizable face now for you know, however, since 2003. So I guess I'm just curious about like whether or not 45 wins or loses, like whatever we're mm-hmm. going to be up against yes. as, you know, as we are ushering into mm-hmm. the great beyond. Um, I think you've had, I feel like you've had like a very interesting yes. vantage point on that. Uh-huh. It seems like things are really a lot closer. It's absolutely fucking falling apart. Like the car is driving down the road and it feels like the axles are going to fall off. Sure. The wheel. Like, I feel like we're about to have like a explosion in our car. Yes. Or have we actually been in a car that was about to explode like since 2003? I do think it's getting worse. I for sure do think it's getting worse. I, I mean, I'm sorry. That's not super. Maybe that's not optimistic. I don't mean to be a downer about it. Like, I, I do think that it has gotten a lot worse. Worse. I feel like a lot of 
I think people's awareness has gotten better and people are more, um, more attuned to what's happening in the world. And that's very important. And that needs to continue. Even if, even if Joe Biden wins that kind of like electric awareness of what's going on in the world and what needs to change is going to have to remain constant. Like if Joe Biden wins, everybody can take like a day or two off of the, but there's a lot to do to actually like repair everything and make it better than it was before. Like to advance the cause of all the things that need to change. That's so much. There's a lot of work ahead. If he wins again, then I don't even know what to tell you. Then I don't, I don't really have any, (laughs) I don't have, I don't have the solution for that. Um, Is there, is there a, is there anything that you and your team are watching for if he does win? Like if Donald Trump wins again, yeah, or if he does it, like either way, like, is there just any, I mean, for me, I was just thinking when you, just when you said that was like, you know, if he wins, like we maybe can take a day or two off, but then I'm thinking like, well, about fucking Amy Barrett Coney, fuck her name is I mean, magenta like, pantsuit lady. Like, yeah. what are we going to do about her? Because she seems like she's going to get confirmed. I shouldn't say take two days off. Take like 12 hours. Give yourself yeah, just, just like, like three, three hours, hours to celebrate. Take a bath. Yeah, just get like <laughs> blackout, get blackout or take a bath. Either one, whatever feels better for you. Um, and then we'll wake up on November 4th and we'll sure. be ready to party. But but it's like I even was thinking about like, and we've mentioned that on this podcast before. And I've, I've read other people, you know, read other people's thoughts on this, heard other people's thoughts on this. But it's like, even if he does win, it's like he's going to be inheriting such a poor situation. Like mm-hmm. whether it's like the disbanding of the HIV AIDS Advisory Council in 2017, like got to get that back together. The constant attack on Planned Parenthood, like those repercussions are going through it. Like the census that they shut down early. Like yeah. there's so many different things that are going to have to kind of like the State Department still in shambles. Like he's been in the fucking and in, in the president for four years. And like we still don't have ambassadors to like like a bunch of stuff, but you know, we do have more Republican ideologic, like crazy, rabid Christian conservative judges than we know what to fucking do with. Totally. So it's like, we do have like a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess to, it's like, and I, I hope that he's like building. Okay. I guess, you know, as part of Joe Biden's job right now, which we aren't really, no one's really talking about. Cause it's all like, kind of, it's like building the team that he would put in place on day one or day two. Cause like all of those people need to hit the ground running in their jobs. There's just must be so many. I'm just praying. I'm just hoping to God or whatever that like there's a a team of people who are poised, who have like their laptops in a bag and they've got like a packed lunch and they're ready to like hit their desks in the White House and start putting those things back together right away, right away, right away, right away. How do we Uh, wait a day? There's so much to do. I have the faith in their team. What I am more scared of is like, will they get elected? That's more of what I'm thinking. Very scary. And listen, I don't want to talk about voting anymore. I want to, for Joe Biden to win, I don't want to talk about voting for like at least another, I need a break from saying the word vote, but you really can't totally. (laughs) We're going to have a midterm like in two years. Yeah, we have to say, well, we're only going to know time. Can I just like not say the word vote for six months, please? I need to stop. <laughs> you know where you might not be able to? Because I was just reading. Um, if John Ossoff or that oh. or um, Kelly, what's her face yes. in Georgia? If one of them doesn't get 50 percent of the vote, right. like they'll have to run again in January. Which I was like, oh, my God, what a nightmare. Oh like to have to like, can you imagine oh. having to just jump right? Like, oh, it gets extended. Yeah. Oh, my I God. I know. What a nightmare. Ooh. So we don't want to do any plot spoilers, plot twists, because you're obviously like working on a show. And I know that you also have mentioned memory several times. Like you wouldn't fucking remember what's going on in four weeks anyway 
because you're fucking busy and you're a producer and a host, you got shit to do. But over like house, you know, Samantha B slash full frontal, like what are the news stories you're watching? What is your team keeping an eye out for? Like, you know, not to give away what you're working on for your coming season, but is there just anything in your person or like in your team where like, you know what you want to keep an eye on out for is that Virginia house election in 2021 or I don't know, just like some random other thing. I do think that like, I, I do think that our minds are all like, we're all really excited to like not do shows about the election too, but there's so much, there's so much COVID stuff that we still haven't talked about. Like we haven't talked about evictions and those are all coming. Like all of those like economic losses are something that we're going to probably end up focusing on after the election, no matter the outcome, because none of that stuff, like we haven't, we're not really, we haven't really faced what's about to happen or the cataclysm that's about to happen. And so that's what we're all kind of thinking about right now, leading into the holidays Celebrate! Well, we've come to the point in the podcast where it's like this yogi. I love hip openers. Is do you you love pigeon? You're double pigeon person. I am because my hips are just like sometimes. Sometimes if I do a pigeon stretch, I get like an like an ecstasy through my whole body because I'm like my hips are like what is this opening? (gasps) What? I do love a good hip opener. They say our relationships are stored in our hips. So sometimes, yeah. Uh So sometimes when people stretch their hips, they just start like sobbing because it like brings up everything. And also it hurts. Is there anything that you wanted to chat about that we just didn't get to? Do you feel, is there anything we used to missed if you didn't share? I don't think so. I feel like you took me on a great journey. I was just here for the journey. I didn't bring any expectations to this conversation other than I love talking to you. And I was just here for like lively conversation, which I feel that we achieved. We did. I feel like you were such a good co-pilot do, for lively conversation. I do regret not turning my camera on. And that is the consequence of me having to do a lot of my own tech stuff. There's always one thing that I get wrong. When you get so much right, <laughs> when you get so much right, how dare you literally have the audacity to try to apologize to but, me at the end of this moment when we've been co-piloting and doing very just well. really very well doing so well. Two gold stars. Gold star. Gold uh, star. Yes, we, just, we can't help it. Samantha B, thank you so much thank for you. coming on today. And we just love you so much and keep up the good work and we'll be staying watching. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benness. My guest this week was the comedian, writer, and producer, Samantha B. She's the host and executive producer of Full Frontal with Samantha B on TBS and the podcast Full Release with Samantha B on Earwolf. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Our editor is Andrew Carson, and our transcriptionist is Cassie Jerkins. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.